joining me. I'm Stacy, and I love talking about how to know and live out God's callings in our lives, preferably cozied up with steaming beverages in comfy armchairs. You can head over to my website, stacysummero.com, for more on discernment. That's S-T-A-C-E-Y-S-U-M-E-R-E-A-U.com. friends, this is my first ever podcast episode, and I am so excited to share with you the most important person in the world to me, my husband, John. I'm still working on converting him to being a coffee drinker. Pray for his conversion, everyone. So for today's episode, I had coffee while he had a butter toffee steamer, which doesn't sound so bad either. John and I have been married for almost two and a half years now, and we have two babies, ages one and a half and one half, (laughs) meaning seven months. It's been a really wild ride, but our story will have to wait for a future episode because today I really wanted to focus on John's story of discerning religious life before he met me. John has such a great story. He wanted to be a Carthusian monk for six years, and he visited other monasteries too as part of his discernment. We're going to shed some light on an order that isn't talked about much. The Carthusians are the strictest order in the world. They are completely silent except for the times when they need to speak, and the North American monastery called the Charter House is on top of a mountain in Vermont. Clearly not an order I, as an extrovert, would ever be remotely called to. John went through years of being unsure of what God wanted for him, which is many of us, am I right? I think you'll be encouraged if you feel or if you've ever felt like you're listening for God's voice and you just aren't sure. So grab a coffee or a tea and let's get to it. So John, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, this is the very first time that I am doing this and the very first time you are doing this. So how are you? How are you feeling? About this in particular or mm-hmm. just life? Mm. This this is exciting. I'm really happy for you. And I think that you have a lot of great stuff to share and you know a lot of wonderful people. So I think, yeah, just having conversations, honest conversations about people's vocation stories and continuing discernment is going to be uh, great for a lot of people to hear, including yeah. me. Thank you. Yeah, there, there's like an unlimited amount of cool stuff about discernment that we can talk about. Mm, um, and I do want to say right up front, I am not an expert on discernment. I don't know exactly what an expert on discernment would even look like. Mm-hmm. But I think that would probably be more for a spiritual director to actually offer people advice for their lives. Sure. So my idea in doing this podcast is to like you said, talk about people's vocation stories, hear how we hear God speaking to us. Because um, I think a lot of us kind of hang around like waiting for a sign from God and it doesn't come. And so we're really confused. Mm -hmm. And I would love a sign from God in so many areas of my life, but Mm -hmm. I think that's just not really how God Mm -hmm. operates a lot of the time. Mm -hmm. He might speak through the circumstances of your life. He might put people in your life who are going to be his voice um, to you Mm -hmm. and he might work through your desires. There's so many different ways. So I'm hoping that by hearing other people's stories, people can really get a sense of um, how to discern and what God's call might look like. Sure. Yeah. And another thing I want to do on this podcast is I know when I was discerning religious life, I kind of got overwhelmed. I would go online and people would be like, Oh, you should check out these sisters and these sisters and these sisters. And I would go online and I would just kind of just get overwhelmed reading about the different um, spirituality that they practice and 
nothing was really reaching out to me. And, um, I, I just was, I didn't know where to start. So yeah, I would love for this to be a place where I can talk to people in different religious orders and have them kind of tell me about their charism and Mm -hmm. what that looks like. And hopefully anyone who's discerning can kind of, um, reach out to them if they, if they feel attracted to that way of life. So yeah, definitely enjoying the conversation too, because we're all discerning and, you know, I think those who are like discerning the big questions in life, their own vocations, even as they're going through it, have really a lot to offer everybody else. Mm-hmm, definitely. Yeah. And you bring up a really good point too, because we're not just discerning our vocation, um, vocation being religious life, such as a monk or nun or a married person or a consecrated single person or the priesthood. Um, those are kind of the four big categories, but then we've got all these little decisions to discern within that. Um, and that, you know, you and I are always discerning. I feel like at every mm-hmm. moment, like using natural family planning, we're discerning, are we called to have another child now? Um, for anyone who doesn't know, we do have two children, John and I, mm-hmm. we're not very good at natural family planning. <laughs> <laughs> so. We've learned our limitations, but we're learning, we're learning, we're getting better at it. I hope. <laughs> and the reason I say that is because our dear little son, Raphael, who's 18 months old, 19 months old now. Mm-hmm. He made his appearance nine months after our wedding day. And our little angel girl who doesn't like to sleep much, Azalee is her name. She's named after St. Therese's mother, actually, who uh, who was canonized in 2016, I think, right? Something like that, yeah. Yeah. We call her Zelly. Zelly, yeah. Can I tell a quick story? Funny story. Oh, sure. Well, I was just going to say Zelly made her appearance. All right, yeah, 364 days after Raphael. Right. Not that we're counting, but right. <laughs> my Irish twins. But yeah, just a funny story about the natural fam- uh, natural family planning thing. We were taking classes before we got married, and uh, it was just kind of a bummer. The uh, the <laughs> the couple that was kind of guiding us and meeting with us um, forgot about our third meeting. So like we drove down to you know the library where where we were going to meet with these people, and they just didn't show up. And Stacy and I were living, you know, far away at that at that point, and so we didn't have any opportunity to to get back together with them. It was so, about three weeks before our wedding, so yeah, we, we missed, I was not going to be coming back up to John's diocese any anymore before the wedding. Right, we missed the third class of our NFB, so we uh, we decided when we found out we were pregnant right after we got married that we were going to just drop this baby off at this couple's door with a note saying, you know, maybe you should keep a better schedule. <laughs> That's still not off the table, you know. I hope not. Maybe we should discern that decision. Mm-hmm. So I'm thinking anyone who is listening to this possibly might already be familiar with the definition of vocation um, and discernment. But I feel like discernment kind of, it, it, it's a big word. It, it's kind of a fancy word and it perhaps bears explaining. So could you just like let us know, John, what um, discernment is? Sure, yeah, we just looked up discernment on Google to look for a couple quick definitions. And the ones that we liked were uh, a simple one. It's just the ability to judge well. And then in Christian contexts, perception in the absence of judgment with a view to obtaining spiritual direction and understanding. What I, what I understand of that, um, it's just the absence of judgment. And I think that's important because judgment to me is like either yes or no answer. And with with vocation discernment, for any kind of discernment, 
<clears throat> um, it's, it's seldom black and white. Um, and, you know, it's kind of in the absence of that, of like a, a clear answer. It's really kind of just, um, you know, taking your best guess and moving forward confidently, you know, praying for God's continued guidance. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I feel like one of the reasons our marriage works well is that you are very comfortable kind of sitting with the big questions and not wanting to box them up or put a brand on them or get an answer necessarily. And I'm very much the type to kind of go straight to, okay, let's name this. Let's, um, you know, kind of put this in a box. Let's make sense of this. Let's wrap our heads around this. Mm -hmm. And so you do balance me out very well in that regard. Um, which brings me to another point about discernment, which is that you really need your people. Mm, definitely. Yeah. So, so as John and I are, are discerning kind of our, our path and our life together, we have a lot of conversations. We just talk and talk and talk some days about what we would like to happen, what we think we're called to, where we feel the Holy Spirit is moving us, um, and, and our fears as well, kind of what we're afraid of as we go. Mm-hmm. And one thing that I really love about what um what our conversations produce, John, is that I always feel a sense of peace after talking to you. And I always feel like you um you don't stir the pot and you don't kind of stir up drama. You just kind of hear what I'm saying and you like reiterate it back to me. And you'll say what you think, but you don't rush to any conclusions or rush rush to any extremes. And for me, that is a really great balance because I tend to sort of go right I'm very type A and I tend to go right to the end goal and be like, okay, let's have a plan and let's do this. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you for saying that. And I think, Mm -hmm. um, yeah, talking about the right people, obviously a a big part of that is if, if you're able to finding a really good spiritual director or confessor and, and, you know, with or without that, try to find people with whom you share, um, like your deepest convictions and beliefs, Mm -hmm. uh, like a strong Catholic, Anybody who really understands what, uh, you know, why God put us here on earth in, in a general sense, and someone who's willing to really go deep with you and yourself, find out why God put you specifically on this earth and um, what he made you for. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So let's get into your story. Can mm-hmm. you, so you had a spiritual director kind of at the beginning of your discernment or did that come later? Yeah, let's see. I. Just give us your background, too, because I don't know that anyone's going to know. Well, thank you. Sure. Yeah. So I grew up in a Catholic family. Um, we were... It, it's interesting because we don't really fall into uh, a set category. We we were kind of a church on Sunday family. We didn't talk about faith outside of that too often. But I was aware that my dad had deep faith and a lot of knowledge about the faith, a lot of great books on the bookshelf that he would sometimes hand to us. Um, but like, we never had conversations about it. My mom, uh, was and is still Lutheran, but helped raise us Catholic. Um, it was just kind of an environment of, like, you just kind of go through the motions in a sense. <clears throat> but, uh, my parents kind of, kind of let us decide when, when to really kind of jump in for ourselves and mm-hmm. really take hold of our own faith, which, which I did in high school in particular, I think, when I, read uh, St. Augustine's Confessions, and I would say that I just was kind of knocked over by the beauty of truth, and it was something that I'd never felt in such a concentrated form before. Like, St. Augustine, some people don't don't connect to him the way that I do, but I know, I know a lot of people, when they read the Confessions, it's 
find this divine truth. And yeah, I just fell in love with it and decided, you know, I had to give myself to that. So mm. searching for a way to do that while I was still in high school, um, I looked into monastic life and read a book by Thomas Martin about different orders. I uh, decided that the Carthusian life was the most perfect. Um, mm. Why did you decide that? Well, Carthusians are uh, the most completely, well, I would say they're the most faithful to kind of the original spirit of monasticism. Mm. In a way, like they, they even go back like prior to St. Benedict, who's considered kind of the father of modern monasticism. Okay. Like pre-Benedict to the Desert Fathers, who oh, wow. um, kind of went out all alone, like totally secluded by themselves in the desert for lives of severe penance, asceticism, and complete, you know, just wrap themselves up in, in contemplation of God 24-7. Mm-hmm. Didn't you tell me at one point, actually, that the Carthusians are the only order that have not been reformed? That's right. Yeah, they were uh, they were formed, I think, in 1087 or something like that. I think it was the 11th century. Mm-hmm. And, uh, yeah, they still operate by the same rule and, for the most part, the same customs and practices. They, even like, you know, most of them, the monasteries that I've heard of or read about or been to, uh, don't have either heating, a lot of the rooms don't have electricity. Um, it's pretty hardcore. And that appealed to me as a young man and it just appealed to my, um, yeah, my kind of drastic desires mm-hmm. to give myself fully as possible. So, uh, as soon as I kind of found that answer for myself, like, this is the best thing for me to do, I was like, how do I get there? So I went and talked to the parish priest, um, Monsignor Lockard, and he's a great guy, very wise, and he agreed to, to see me as a spiritual director and really encouraged me throughout the next six years of finishing high school and college. Mm-hmm. You have to have a degree before you go visit the Carthusians. So I do want to hear a little bit more like about any struggles that you had, sort of um, giving up material things or anything. Uh, you know, dating was the idea of like never having um, a relationship painful to you. Uh, yeah, it was it was tough. Obviously, in high school, there are a lot of girls. And, you know, there's always, always temptation there. And you can't really even talk, call it temptation. It was kind of a process of discernment at that point, too, because I didn't want to, like, I knew that I was still young and that I had a long, long period to go before I even had the opportunity to, like, actively discern with the Carthusians, go and visit mm-hmm. them. And so I, I was kind of discerning. I didn't know for sure if, like, God wanted me to date at that point. Mm-hmm. Um, it always kind of felt a little dishonest to me because my heart was so kind of pointed in that direction. Mm. And like I was definitely attracted to a lot of girls and kind of wished I could have asked a lot of girls out throughout uh, high school and college. But I don't know, I just I never felt like I could do it without you know, splitting my personality in a way. Mm, sure. I'm going to embarrass you by telling the story about four girls asking you to prom <laughs> and you turned them all down and didn't go to prom. They were, um, they were a little bit younger than me, so you know how 10th graders are when you're in 12th grade. You could be the lamest guy around, but if you're a senior, then you're, you're hot stuff, and 10th graders, you, so. Well. That's what happened there. I could say a lot of really nice things about you, but I'm gonna, I'm not gonna say them right now, because I feel like 
I feel this pressure to not be too lovey-dovey with you cool, thank you. on our podcast yeah. episode because I feel like people are going to throw up and not yeah. listen to it anymore. And I want followers. I'll play that role. I was, I was <laughs> on, I'll be honest. I was, I was a total game. <laughs> <laughs> keep going, keep going. <laughs> that kind of sums it up. Yeah, that's true. What more can you say? Yeah. So, um, so this hunk of a babe but, but yeah, no, you're discerning. Yeah, thank you. You're asking um, if it was challenging for me to think about plan on giving up all all these you know pleasures of life the biggest one the most difficult throughout the whole process was my family because mm. the Carthusians, as far as i know are the strictest in, in regard to how often you're able to see your family you can only they can visit you for for two days a year you once you enter um once you take your final vows you never leave the, the monastery wow. unless you have to go to like a doctor's appointment or something that's so intense yeah and your family, you can only write to your family, I think, like once a quarter of every couple of months. Wow. Um, talk to them maybe like twice a year on the phone and see them for two days a year. And that's just like your immediate family. I think maybe uncles and aunts as well are able to come if they want, but mm. um, nothing beyond that. No no friends or, you know. So you're the closest thing we're going to get to a Carthusian representative on this podcast. Yeah, I guess so. It's interesting though. You never Give know, us the scoop. Because... <laughs> A cool thing that I like uh, to mention about the Carthusians is that they, people always ask, like, how, when did you know that this was your vocation? Mm. And the Carthusians give a funny answer. Their answer is like, after I'm dead. Because, um, like, even when they talk about each other, no Carthusian will ever say, that guy there, he's got a Carthusian vocation, I can tell. Unless he's already in the grave, in the, you know, at the charter house. Like, that guy, I'm pretty sure he was called to be Carthusian. They, they can say that with confidence, but... Other than that, they never really, because a lot of them, you know, will stay there for years and then realize that's not where it's, God, God's calling them at that point and they just take off. That sounds so scary. Yeah, To it like is. give your life to God mm-hmm. and then realize, oh, I'm not supposed to be here. Yeah, it's so hard. There's, there's a book about it. Well, that's a small part of what the book is about. It's called An Infinity of Little, Little Hours, which is about these five guys and their experience going to the charter house. The vast majority of people who visit there even though you have to be serious about discerning, when you do visit there, the vast majority end up leaving, usually mm. within like the first 48 hours. But, you know, up to 10, 15, 20 years, they, they can leave. And the, yeah, the, one of the most painful things to think about for me and read about was their experience of life after they've left and already having given like so much of their, their youth um, mm. and their future to God. Like they have nothing. And a lot of them, you know, they don't have any job prospects, mm. you know, try to submit a, uh, like a job application with like this blank spot from 2000 to 2018. Um, you know, they want to, you know, get into sales and I want to get into computers or whatever. Like, you know, they never use computers. I don't even know. Computers. No. <laughs> <laughs> so you're painting a pretty dark picture of anyone who was thinking about becoming a Carthusian up to this point. <laughs> mm. Yeah. I don't mean to scare anybody away. <laughs> I do. Well, I think this was a huge theme in my discernment, not to make this all about me, but um, I was very afraid of giving God any time when I was discerning because I was like, oh, well, what if I spend three years discerning and then I find out that I'm not called after I've been or five years or 10 years, you know, Mm -hmm. and maybe I will have missed my window to have children if I am called to be married. And um, so I was just super scared to enter into the process. And um when all is said and done, so I spent about a year discerning and when I became open to dating again, 
God, I tell you, be careful what you pray for because God can make things happen really fast and he does not waste any of your time. So as we said earlier, we had two children right away and we got, well, this is jumping ahead, but we got engaged five months after we met. So I firmly believe, and I will tell anyone who asks me that, like, if you give God any time at all, he's going to multiply those blessings by like a zillion and he's not going to waste your time. And yeah. I've heard that from everybody who has been in religious life and then left. We know um, kind of a bunch of people, actually, like a bunch of ex-seminarians and mm-hmm. ex couple ex-consecrated single people. And, and they all say the same thing, which is that they are so glad that they went through that formation because it helped make them who they are as a person. Yeah. You said God doesn't waste any time. Um, even like the time that, especially the time that you devote completely, completely to him. Mm-hmm. Even if like you look back and you think, hmm, maybe that, that wasn't his will that I'd be there. If you're like really earnestly pursuing his will, if you're discerning, especially, which is such a gift to God to just give him your time, he's going to use all of the time that you give him and make it so much more fruitful than, than if you were doing what you, you know, most wanted and like, Pursuing your own plans over God's, you're, you're only going to get so far, but any time that you devote to God and really, you know, try to pursue His will, mm-hmm. it's going to be so, so much more fruitful. Yeah, definitely. And that involves going back to the drawing board, I think, for a lot of people. We were talking about your discernment through college. What did discernment look like for you? Like, what did you actually do to discern? A lot of it was reading. Kind of my whole uh, process of falling in love with God and growing closer to Him. And pursuing a vocation that was so much of it was through reading. I read a lot, a lot of the saints' writings and a lot, you know, of the de- desert fathers, different uh, monastic saints and stuff. And then kind of in the meantime, because I knew I needed my degree before even visiting the Carthusian uh, monastery, I went around to the orders that I thought were most similar. So the Cistercians and the Benedictines, particularly. I just spent a few days with them at uh, different monasteries and got a taste of that. Um, I don't know if that maybe should have been like a red flag for me, but all of those experiences, even though they were beautiful and enjoyable, kind of left me kind of dry and empty or directionless in terms of like nothing, nothing really reached out of me and gave me a hint that like Mm -hmm. this is what I really wanted and wanted to do. And I assumed at the time that's because it wasn't as full and complete. Like I had my sights set on the perfusions and that's kind of all I wanted. And if these other things didn't satisfy me in any way, that's just because they're not, not good enough, not strict enough or whatever. The Carthusian Monastery is called the Charter House. I think it's the only one of its kind in North America, right? It's the only Carthusian Monastery? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Cool. So you went there a couple days after you graduated college, ready to just join up. You're like, signs, ready to sign on the dotted line. Mm-hmm. And they took you for two months, I believe. They said, come mm-hmm. for a two-month retreat. Yeah. And then everybody has to leave. And then if you feel called back, you kind of you call us we won't mm-hmm. call you right? right so tell me about that experience because that there's so much that happened there yeah the moment i got there i was just flooded with so much unsettledness i guess is the best word for it it became turmoil eventually but it was just like i don't know it was like jumping into a pool and then realizing that it was like 20 degrees too cold for you or something mm. like i just felt like not this is not this doesn't feel right this is what am i doing here <laughs> yeah this is so this what a bummer because like i learned so much about i i watched the um the movie which i really recommend which is uh into great silence which really kind of 
brings you into the life of Carthusian. It was very similar to that movie. That was really excellent. But just like being there physically and really leaving everything behind, just like, ah, oh, shoot. I kind of, I really hope that this isn't God's will for me because I feel so out of place here. And yeah, that just gave rise to like so much panic and fear and turmoil in my, my mind and my heart. And I decided like I was really going to do my absolute best to quiet all of that. And I think a good rule of discernment that um, we learned from our friend Paul actually, his vocation retreat that uh, we went to recently, um, he said, when you're making a decision like this, you know, try some, try something out. Even if you're not sure, take a step, try it out, and give it some time. That's really important, even if it doesn't feel right at first. Make sure you give it, like, a few days or a couple weeks, depending on the situation. So, like, I knew I had this two months set aside, and I was like, I'm going to stay here for two months. And every single day, you know, every single hour became, like, a struggle, very intentional struggle to be quiet, this turmoil, and these kind of screaming voices in my head saying, like, no, this is not right. Get out of here. Mm. And say, like, God, no matter what my my inner voices are saying, no matter how I feel, no matter what I think, like, all of this I want to subject to to your plan for me and your will. I want to become as quiet as possible so that I can hear your call again, calling me to this life, if that's your will. And that was the most exhausting two months of my life. Mm. Um, internally and externally until I had kids. <laughs> but, uh, yeah. yeah, that's, that's just another interesting detail about the Carthusians. One of their dependences is to wake up every, every night at midnight and uh, join each other in, in prayer in the main church for between an hour and a half and three hours, depending on the night, if you stay or whatever it is, uh, which takes a long time to get used to, it turns out. And yeah. had many sleepless nights. Like, yeah. I mean, you, you work really hard all day. Mm-hmm. As a monk, too. You work hard and you, um, yeah, the, the silence is definitely for sure. Yeah. I remember you told me on our first date about your experience at the Charter House and how you had to wake up at midnight every night and pray. And I thought, oh my gosh, I would never be able to do that. That was my first thought. But you know, it's really funny because now we're in this vocation of parenthood. Um, we can't send the kids back, can't return them. And they are often up from midnight till 2 a.m., mm-hmm. sometimes more. Uh, we've had many, many mornings of being up several times a night and then getting up at 6 a.m. and going all day with the yeah, kids. Definitely. And so it's just funny to me that the demands of the, like, I didn't think it was going to be this hard. Mm-hmm. Um, and I always kind of looked at nuns and monks and priests as having like this this calling where it's like, oh, they can do supernatural things and they can do mm-hmm. so many more things than I could ever hope to do. Mm-hmm. And they're just better than I am. But you know, parenthood is really um, like physically demanding. Yeah. Uh, and yeah. And emotionally too. And a lot of times the, it's, it's hard because it's like, if you know you're waking up from midnight until 2am, you just go to bed at a decent hour because mm-hmm. you know, that's coming mm-hmm. with, these kids, like if they're sick, you know, they, they could wake up eight times a night and you have no guarantee of ever mm. getting back to sleep. So it's kind of, um, it's a diff- very different sort of penance. Um, and our friend, Father Dar, who is very wise, 
always says, um, the grass ain't greener anywhere. That's right. <laughs> and I loved that expression because I thought, you know, if you're, if you're trying to seek out an easy life, you're not going to find it anywhere. Mm-hmm. Um, your vocation is going to be something that gives you a lot of peace and a lot of joy, mm-hmm. but it's not going to be the, the easy, the easy route. Yeah. And that brings us to a really interesting point. I think you're exactly right. And, um, that's another thing we were talking about recently is like, that was, that was such a hard experience for me. So demanding. Um, there's so much turmoil there, but I have to say like parenthood is harder than that. Yet the turmoil is absent or at least on a much more superficial level. Mm-hmm. And beneath that, there's a deep piece. And I think that's a really important part of the discernment process as well. Finding your vocation is like the, the piece beneath everything that's going on. You really start to, as you move through this discernment process, you start to identify your layers. Stacey talks about sometimes. Mm-hmm. And, um, you can feel when, when a piece is real, true, and deep piece, or when it's more superficial. So after two months, um, what did you do all day, by the way? I think that's something that I, I think a lot of us are curious about, like what actually happens inside the walls of the convent or the yeah, monastery. So yeah, the, the day was mainly like you, you go to mass. Um, it's about an hour. You go back to your cell and have quiet time for a while just to, to read and pray and study and stuff. And then the, the monks are split up into two different camps, either the, the priests or the, the brothers. So the, the lay monks. Um, and the lay monks are responsible for the upkeep of the monastery. The, the priests spend much more time just praying, just studying, just being silent, which is, I think even more intense. I really needed the physical activity. Mm-hmm. So we would split wood. Um, you have to split a lot of wood for, to keep whatever it was, 15 monks warm for the winter when you don't have any central heating or anything. So, you know, mm-hmm. throughout the summer you're splitting wood and, you know, vacuuming, cleaning, sweeping, cooking, um, just working, you know, really hard. You go, you go back to your cell for lunch, eat alone. I eat alone, you know, every meal for two months. You don't have breakfast, by the way. You really? Your tea if you want it. Your piece of bread. Um, yeah. So. I love breakfast. Yeah. I love pancakes. <laughs> yeah, it's really cool. That's a big sacrifice. Come back home mm-hmm. and have breakfast. But they fed you so incredibly well when you did eat. Mm. I was so surprised and impressed and actually honestly got that. Which is hard to imagine because you have like a six pack without working out much at all. So disappearing as we speak. (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) Very slowly, maybe. Yeah. So, um, so there's a lot of hard work every day. You were there for two months and then you left. And how did you feel when you left? I felt completely directionless. Mm. I felt free in a way. Um, Free in the sense that this whole, you know, kind of structure that I built for myself, plan that I built for my life, which looking back, I think really in a way kind of, well, it was all part of God's plan, I think, but in a way kind of stood in the way of his, his ultimate plan for me. You just, you know, have that kind of fall apart before my eyes. Mm-hmm. It left me, um, you know, alone and this, vast sense of emptiness but you know at the same time that was kind of liberating I could do anything but I just don't know what God wants mm-hmm. and so I was 
as you know launched me back into that initial feeling of like god i love you now what what do you want me to do mm. i'm not hearing anything back for a long time yeah and that is um, again something that i also struggled with just not knowing what god wants and wanting him to tell me and just saying like i'll do whatever you want i want you to have my whole life but you have to tell me what to do and he doesn't and um and ultimately that's really okay because he wants a personal relationship with us he wants us to choose him rather than to just order us around and give us directions but yeah. in that instance he was answering a prayer for you but you just kind of didn't it didn't look like it at the time mm-hmm. right it's kind of only in hindsight that you can see that god was there the whole time um kind of working through the circumstances of your lives your life rather yeah there's a a period of purification i think and i i went to go see a new spiritual director because my old one got moved to a different parish. Um, but I think he was really wise in telling me not to jump into anything too quickly. He said, like, take at least two months and don't make any step in any direction of any vocation. Mm. Just take two months to listen and, you know, let all the dust settle in a way. And I think that was really wise because um, while, while there is definitely a need to, to step out in faith, even without like a clear direction at a certain point. You definitely need that time of just pure listening as well. And you can't just like jump into something totally blind. But you have to kind of wait for, for a little bit of, of, of a pointer in, in the direction that wants you, and then, then go for it. But you, know, you have to listen by yourself. Mm-hmm. Be patient as well. And let God purify you and prepare you. Which is so hard for us. Mm. I remember when I was running around New York um, as like a 23 and 24 year old and I was pursuing my acting career. I remember just feeling this overwhelming sense that like everybody else has so much going on and they're all winning awards and they're all climbing the ladders and they're all on Broadway and, you know, they're all doing all of these incredible things. And I have to keep up with that or else I'm not good enough. Mm -hmm. And I think social media just adds more and more pressure to that because we're all just comparing ourselves to each other Mm -hmm. and maybe we're on top for a minute, but it just gets so competitive and like, you can't keep up with that. It's so impossible. So to completely leave that aside is really, really, really hard. Right. So how, how did you do that? How did you just get through the day listening and, um, you know, emotionally, how did you do that? Sure. That's a good question. Um, yeah, it was, I, I did definitely experience that. Like mm-hmm. all my, my friends were kind of moving on with their lives, you know, getting married, having kids, moving up in their, their careers. And I was living at home with my parents, working as a lifeguard with a bunch of high schoolers, really humbling and mm-hmm. uh, not knowing what else to do. Um, I think, yeah, I think that was a really good, a healthy period for me because it really forced me to find refuge in God and become closer friends with him in a way. More mm-hmm. more at ease with him because like I didn't feel comfortable anywhere else. Um I didn't feel at home. I didn't feel like I had found my home. I was just waiting. And so like I really spent a lot of time, especially in the evenings, just like going up in a room by myself, shutting the door, writing in a journal to God praying, praying the divine office and, you know, just praying to him one-on-one, telling him about my day and how I felt and 
begging him over and over again until his ears were ringing to, to show me, you know, the way forward, what he wanted to do. And yeah, it's, it's harder not to have the direction than, than for him to, to tell you, like, I want you to jump off the cliff. That's going to be hard, but yeah, cool. Thank you. I'm glad <laughs> you can. Actually, Stacey and I talked about this on our first date. And I brought it up because, um, we were, you know, I, somebody boldly brought up the subject of marriage on our first date. And somebody. Yeah, it must have been me. <laughs> was, it, was it? I don't know. I, I don't know. But, uh, My memory's not that good. Yeah, I, I admitted that I, at that point I thought I would really prefer to be married to someone who's kind of a jerk. And, you know, to, I don't know, to, to be in a, a marriage full of struggle than to be totally directionless. Mm. Or to be single and you know, have the world at your feet because, you know, knowing your vocation, even if it's all struggle and all pain, you know, like, all right, God, I know your will for me is to face this struggle and be kind to my wife and move forward in this vocation. To me, right. that's, that's a more appealing prospect than emptiness and directions. Yeah, I'm with you. Even in the toughest moments of our marriage so far and toughest moments of being a mom, I would absolutely take my life over my life five years ago when I had no idea what I was doing. Mm -hmm. That was just a really hard, it was like hard to stick with anything. It was yeah. really hard to feel good about myself ever. Mm -hmm. And um, it was really hard to not compare myself. And now it's like, I'm just more grounded mm -hmm. in my vocation. Um, so yeah, anyone struggling with being single or just not knowing what God wants, um, totally I'm with you because that is a hard, that's a hard place to be. Yeah. And yeah. You, you had mentioned uh, the fact that my grandpa died. The reason that you mentioned that was because that did eventually kind of lead to the next step in my vocation. I went to take care of my grandma who had had uh, a back injury right around the time that her husband died. Um, I was supposed to stay there for like a couple of weeks to help her out, get her back on her feet. And she got much worse. I had to stay there for a year and a half. So I, you know, move out of my family's house, stay with my grandma, take care of her full time. It turned out to be really hard work for, mm -hmm. for a lot of that time. And um, after a year and a half of that, continuing to talk to my spiritual director and continuing to feel no direction, I eventually just asked him, like, what about dating? Do you think, you know, should I try that out and just see if that, you know, if I feel any direction doing that? And he said, yeah, I'll give it a shot, go for it, and, you know, listen. Mm -hmm. So um, I, I joined CatholicMatch.com. <laughs> do you recommend it? Yeah, I do. Yeah. Um, and I was on that site at that time as well. Um, we're running out of time here, but during that year and a half, that, that's an incredibly long time. At least it feels, I mean, in the grand scheme of your life, it's not, but for someone in their twenties to just not get your own career started or not just like make a, um, just go out and start doing something or doing anything like mm -hmm. keeping busy in order to tell other people that you have something going on. Like for you to really just be taking care of your grandma, um, was incredible. And a really cool thing was that because you were living with your grandma, instead of living with, um, your, you know, your, in your hometown of state college, you fell within the search radius of the searches that I was doing out on Long Island for eligible gentlemen. Right. Yeah, so you wouldn't have, or I wouldn't have found you if it had hadn't been for your location. That's right. Thank yeah. you, Jeff. <laughs> woo woo. <laughs> um, so yeah, we need to wrap it up here, but um, I think 
like a big part of your discernment seems to me like the words that are coming to me are waiting on God. Like mm-hmm. You were waiting on God for a large part of the process to kind of tell you what to do. And he sort of acted through the circumstances of your life. He acted through your desires. But when your desires were not um, pointing you in the right direction, he kind of just left you hanging for a while. Yeah. Yeah. And, and he was doing good work, but it was just not clear for a while. It right. was like confusing and, um, and unsettling on a right. deep level. Yeah. But as we were saying before, God really doesn't waste any of that. And as you know, many of you probably know, Stacy was discerning as well for a while. And when we eventually did find our, find each other in our vocation in each other, we, we were both able to bring this rich background of exploration of monasticism um, and spirituality and, um, you know, really try to integrate that with our, with our married life. I'm going to ask you one final question, which I did not prepare you for. And that is, what sustains you in your vocation spiritually right now? So during, during like the marriage, the sacrament, like you, this grace is poured into your hearts, into your relationship. And then you kind of like, God sends you off on your way. But I, I don't think that is the way it works. I think constantly, like every day, every, every time that you, um, take action to like reorient yourself towards your vocation, towards your spouse, God pours fresh grace into your heart. And, you know, that's available to you at every moment mm-hmm. as a married person. You're so privileged to have that kind of equal grace in your life. And yeah, I've, I've felt it so, so many times. And yeah, I'm yeah. getting married. I really, uh, really recommend it. But it's the bomb.com. That's just it. It's God's will for you. Mm-hmm. And if it wasn't, then I wouldn't be saying that at all. Yeah, definitely. We definitely have talked so many times about how as single people, we would never have been able to rise to the occasion and become um, kind of step in for each other at moments when we're really exhausted or when it's really hard. Um, we would never have been able to do that before. And it really is the grace of the sacrament. And God does not kind of just abandon you in your struggle with marriage and parenthood. He's really there. And we can really feel it in a, in a very, very real way. So it's incredible. Yeah. Thank you, John. I love you so much, and I'm so glad that you were my first guest. Thank you. I had such a fun coffee date with my hubby, and I'm super glad you joined us. The links to everything we talked about are in the show notes for you. If you have questions on discernment, I would love to hear from you, so please get in touch with me via my website, and you can be a part of the conversation. See you in a couple weeks. Stay Catholic and stay caffeinated.